Chapter Fifty One of the Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. Chapter Fifty One. The project of Mr. Ralph Nickleby and his friend approaching a successful issue becomes unexpectedly known to another party, not admitted into their confidence. In an old house, dismal, dark, and dusty, which seemed to have withered like himself, and to have grown yellow and shrivelled in hoarding him from the light of day, as he had in hoarding his money, lived Arthur Gride. Meagre old chairs and tables of spare and bony make, and hard and cold as misers' hearts, were ranged in grim array against the gloomy walls, attenuated presses, grown lank and lantern-jawed, in guarding the treasures they enclosed and tottering as though from constant fear and dread of thieves, shrunk up in dark corners, whence they cast no shadows on the ground, and seemed to hide and cover from observation. A tall grim clock upon the stairs, with long lean hands, and a famished face, ticked in cautious whispers, and when it struck the time, in thin and piping sounds, like an old man's voice, rattled as if it were pinched with hunger. No fireside couch was there to invite repose and comfort. Elbow chairs there were, but they looked uneasy in their minds, cocked their arms suspiciously and timidly, and kept upon their guard. Others were fantastically grim and gaunt, having drawn themselves up to their utmost height, and put on their fiercest looks to stare all comers out of countenance. Others again, knocked up against their neighbours, or leant for support against the wall, somewhat ostentatiously, as if to call all men to witness that they were not worth the taking. The dark, square, lumbering bedsteads seemed built for restless dreams. The musty hangings seemed to creep in scanty folds together, whispering among themselves when rustled by the wind, their trembling knowledge of the tempting wares that lurked within the dark and tight-locked closets. From out the most spare and hungry room in all this spare and hungry house, there came one morning the tremulous tones of old Groyd's voice, as it feebly chirruped forth the fag-end of some forgotten song, of which the burden ran, Turan, 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 Tan, too, I throw the old shoe, and may the wedding be lucky, which he repeated in the same shrill, quavering tones again and again until a violent fit of coughing obliged him to desist, and to pursue in silence the occupation upon which he was engaged. This occupation was to take down from the shelves of a worm-eaten wardrobe a quantity of frowsy garments, one by one, to subject each to a careful and minute inspection, by holding it up against the light, and after folding it with great exactness, to lay it on one or other of two little heaps beside him. He never took two articles of clothing out together, but always brought them forth singly, and never failed to shut the wardrobe door and turn the key between each visit to its shelves. "'The snuff-coloured suit,' said Arthur Gride, surveying the threadbare coat. "'Did I look well in snuff-colour? Let me think.' The result of his cogitations appeared to be unfavourable, for he folded the garment once more, and laid it aside, and mounted on a chair to get down another chirping while he did so young loving and fair what a happiness there the wedding is sure to be lucky 
they always put in young said old arthur but songs are only written for the sake of rhyme and this is a silly one that the poor country people sang when i was a little boy though stop young is quite right too it means the bride yes <laughs> it means the bride oh dear that's good that's very good and true besides quite true in the satisfaction of this discovery he went over the verse again with increased expression and a shake or two here and there he then resumed his employment the bottle green said old arthur the bottle green it was a famous suit to wear and i brought it very cheap at a pawnbroker's and there it was <laughs> a tarnished shilling in the waistcoat pocket to think that the pawnbroker should have known there was a shilling in it i knew it i felt it when i was examining the quality oh what a dull dog of a pawnbroker it was a lucky suit too this bottle green the very day I put it on first, old Lord Mallowford was burnt to death in his bed, and all the post obits fell in. I'll be married in the bottle green. Peg, Peg Slyderskew, I'll wear the bottle green. This call, loudly repeated twice or thrice at the room door, brought into the apartment a short, thin, weazen, blear-eyed old woman, palsy-stricken and hideously ugly, who, wiping her shrivelled face upon her dirty apron, inquired in that subdued tone in which deaf people commonly speak was that you were calling or only the clock at striking my hearing gets so hard i never know which is which but when i hear a noise i know it must be one of you because nothing else ever stirs in this house me peg me said arthur gride tapping himself on the breast to render the reply more intelligible you eh returned peg and what do you want i'll be married in the bottle green cried arthur gride it's a deal too good to be married in master rejoined peg after a short inspection of the suit have you got anything worse than this nothing that'll do replied old arthur why not do retorted peg why don't you want to wear your everyday clothes like a man eh they ain't becoming enough peg returned her master not what said peg becoming becoming what said peg sharply not becoming too old to wear arthur gride muttered an imprecation on his housekeeper's deafness as he roared in her ear not smart enough i want to look as well as i can look cried peg if she's as handsome as you say she is she won't look much at you master take your oath on that and as to how you look yourself pepper and salt bottle green sky blue or tartan plaid will make no difference to you with which consolatory assurance peg sliderskew gathered up the chosen suit and folding her skinny arms upon the bundle stood mouthing and grinning and blinking her watery eyes like an uncouth figure in some monstrous piece of carving you're in a funny humour ain't you peg said arthur with not the best possible grace why isn't it enough to make me rejoined the old woman i shall soon enough be put out though if anybody tries to domineer it over me and so i give you notice master nobody shall be put over peg sliderskew's head after so many years you know that and so i needn't tell you that won't do for me no no nor for you try that once and come to ruin 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 oh dear i shall never try it said arthur gride appalled by the mention of the word not for the world it would be very easy to ruin me we must be very careful more saving than ever with another mouth to feed only we we mustn't let her lose her good looks peg because i like to see em take care you don't find good looks come expensive returned peg shaking her forefinger but she can earn money herself peg said arthur gride eagerly watching 
what effect his communication produced upon the old woman's countenance she can draw paint work all manner of pretty things for ornamenting stools and chairs slippers peg watch guards hair chains and a thousand little dainty trifles that i couldn't give you half the names of then she can play the piano and what's more she's got one and sing like a little bird she'll be very cheap to dress and keep peg don't you think she will if you don't let her make a fool of you she may return peg a fool of me exclaimed arthur trust your old master not to be fooled by pretty faces peg no 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 nor by ugly ones either mrs sliderskew he softly added by way of soliloquy you are saying something you don't want me to hear said peg i know you are oh dear the devil's in this woman muttered arthur adding with an ugly leer i said i trusted everything to you peg that was all you do that master and all your cares are over said peg approvingly when i do that peg sliderskew thought arthur gride they will be although he thought this very distinctly he durst not move his lips lest the old woman should detect him he even seemed half afraid that she might have read his thoughts for he leered coaxingly upon her as he said out aloud take up all loose stitches in the bottle green with the best black silk have a skein of the best and some new buttons for the coat and this is a good idea peg and one you'll like i know as i've never given her anything yet and girls like such attentions you shall polish up a sparkling necklace that i've got upstairs and i'll give it her upon the wedding morning clasp it round her charming little neck myself and take it away again the next day <laughs> i'll lock it up for a peg and lose it who'll be made the fool of there i wonder to begin with eh peg mrs sliderskew appeared to approve highly of this ingenious scheme and expressed her satisfaction by various rackings and twitchings of her head and body which by no means enhanced her charms these she prolonged until she had hobbled to the door when she exchanged them for a sour malignant look and twisting her underjaw from side to side muttered hearty curses upon the future mrs gride as she crept slowly down the stairs and paused for breath at nearly every one she's half a witch i think said arthur gride when he found himself again alone but she's very frugal and she's very deaf her living costs me next to nothing and it's no use her listening at keyholes for she can't hear she's a charming woman for the purpose a most discreet old housekeeper and worth her weight in copper having extolled the merits of his domestic in these high terms old arthur went back to the burden of his song the suit destined to grace his approaching nuptials now being selected he replaced the others with no less care than he had displayed in drawing them from the musty nooks where they had silently reposed for many years startled by a ring at the door he hastily concluded this operation and locked the press but there was no need for any particular hurry as the discreet peg seldom knew the bell was rung unless she happened to cast her dim eyes upwards and to see it shaking against the kitchen ceiling after a short delay however peg tottered in followed by newman noggs ah mr noggs cried arthur gride rubbing his hands my good friend mr noggs what news do you bring for me newman with a steadfast and immovable aspect and his fixed eye very fixed indeed replied suiting the action to the word a letter from mr nickleby bearer waits won't you take a newman looked up and smacked his lips a chair said arthur gride no replied newman thank ye 
Arthur opened the letter with trembling hands and devoured its contents with the utmost greediness, chuckling rapturously over it, and reading it several times before he could take it from before his eyes. So many times did he peruse and re-peruse it, that Newman considered it expedient to remind him of his presence. Answer, said Newman, bearer waits. True, replied old Arthur. Yes, yes, I almost forgot, I do declare. I thought you were forgetting, said Newman. Quite right to remind me, Mr. Noggs, or very right indeed, said Arthur. Yes, I'll write a line. I'm, I'm rather flurried, Mr. Noggs. The news is... Bad, interrupted Newman. No, Mr. Noggs, thank you. Good, good. The very best news. Sit down, I'll get the pen and ink and write a line in answer. I'll not detain you long. I know you're a treasure to your master, Mr. Noggs. He speaks of you in such terms sometimes that, oh dear, you'd be astonished. I may say that I do too, and always did. I always say the same of you. That's cursed, Mr. Noggs, with all my heart, then, if you do, thought Newman, as Gride hurried out. The letter had fallen on the ground. Looking carefully about him for an instant, Newman, impelled by curiosity to know the result of the design he had overheard, from his office closet, caught it up and rapidly read as follows. Gride, I saw Bray again this morning, and proposed the day after tomorrow, as you suggested for the marriage. There is no objection on his part, and all days are alike to his daughter. We will go together, and you must be with me by seven in the morning. I need not tell you to be punctual. Make no further visits to the girl in the meantime. You have been there of late much oftener than you should. She does not languish for you, and it might have been dangerous. Restrain your youthful ardour for eight and forty hours, and leave her to the father. You only undo what he does, and does well. Yours, Ralph Nickleby. A footstep was heard without. Newman dropped the letter on the same spot again, pressed it with his foot to prevent its fluttering away, regained his seat in a single stride, and looked as vacant and as unconscious as ever mortal looked. Arthur Gride, after peering nervously about him, spied it on the ground, picked it up, and sitting down to write, glanced at Newman Noggs, who was staring at the wall, with an intensity so remarkable that Arthur was quite alarmed. "'Do you see anything particular, Mr. Noggs?' said Arthur, trying to follow the direction of Newman's eyes, which was an impossibility and a thing no man had ever done. Only a cobweb, replied Newman. Oh, that is all. No, said Newman, there's a fly in it. There are a good many cobwebs here, observed Arthur Gride. So there are in our place, returned Newman, and flies too. Newman appeared to derive great entertainment from this repartee, and to the great discomposure of Arthur Gride's nerves, produced a series of sharp cracks from his finger joints, resembling the noise of a distant discharge of small artillery. Arthur succeeded in finishing his reply to Ralph's note, nevertheless, and at length handed it over to the eccentric messenger for delivery. "'That's it, Mr. Noggs,' said Gride. Newman gave a nod, put it in his hat, and was shuffling away, when Gride, whose doting delight knew no bounds, beckoned him back again, and said in a shrill whisper, with a grin which puckered up his whole face and almost obscured his eyes, Will you, will you take a little drop of something just to taste? In good fellowship, if Arthur Gride had been capable of it, Newman would not have drunk with him one bubble of the richest wine that was ever made. But to see what he would be at, and to punish him as much as he could, he accepted the offer immediately. 
Arthur Gride, therefore, again applied himself to the press, and from the shelf laden with tall Flemish drinking-glasses and quaint bottles, some with necks like so many storks, and others with square Dutch-built bodies and short, fat, apoplectic throats, took down one dusty bottle of promising appearance and two glasses of a curiously small size. "'You never tasted this,' said Arthur. "'It's Eau golden water. I like it on the count of its name. It's a delicious name. Water of gold, golden water. Oh, dear me, it seems quite a sin to drink it.' As his courage appeared to be fast failing him, and he trifled with the stopper in a manner which threatened the dismissal of the bottle to its old place. Newman took up one of the little glasses and clinked it twice or thrice against the bottle, as a gentle reminder that he had not been helped yet. With a deep sigh, Arthur Gride slowly filled it, though not to the brim, and then filled his own. "'Stop, stop, don't drink yet,' he said, laying his hand on Newman's. "'It was given to me twenty years ago, and when I take a little taste, which is very seldom, I like to think of it beforehand and tease myself. We'll drink a toast. Shall we drink a toast, Mr. Noggs? Ah, said Newman, eyeing his little glass impatiently. Look sharp, bearer waits. Why, then, I'll tell you what, tittered Arthur. We'll drink, <laughs> we'll drink a lady. The ladies, said Newman. No, no, Mr. Noggs, replied Gride, arresting his hand. A lady. You wonder to hear me say a lady? I know you do. Here's little Madeline. That's the toast, Mr. Noggs. Little Madeline. Madeline, said Newman, and inwardly adding, and God help her. The rapidity and unconcern with which Newman dismissed his portion of the golden water had a great effect upon the old man, who sat upright in his chair and gazed at him open-mouthed, as if the sight had taken away his breath. Quite unmoved, however, Newman left him to sip his own at leisure, or to pour it back again in the bottle if he chose, and departed after greatly outraging the dignity of Peg Sliderskew by brushing past her in the passage without a word of apology or recognition. Mr. Gride and his housekeeper, immediately on being left alone, resolved themselves into a committee of ways and means, and discussed the arrangements which should be made for the reception for the young bride. As they were, like some other committees, extremely dull and prolix in debate, this history may pursue the footsteps of Newman Noggs, thereby combining advantage with necessity, for it would have been necessary to do so under any circumstances, and necessity has no law, as all the world knows. "'You've been a long time,' said Ralph, when Newman returned. "'He was a long time,' replied Newman. "'Bah!' cried Ralph impatiently. "'Give me his note if he gave you one. "'His message if he didn't. "'And don't go away. "'I want a word with you, sir.' Newman handed in the note, and looked very virtuous and innocent while his employer broke the seal and glanced his eye over it. "'He'll be sure to come,' muttered Ralph, as he tore it to pieces. "'Why, of course I know he'll be sure to come. "'What need to say that?' "'Noggs, pray, sir, what man was that with whom I saw you in the street last night?' "'I don't know,' replied Newman. "'You had better refresh your memory, sir,' said Ralph, with a threatening look. "'I tell you,' returned Newman boldly, "'that I don't know. He came here twice and asked for you. You were out. He came again. You packed him off yourself. He gave the name of Brooker.' "'I know he did,' said Ralph. "'What then?' "'What then? Why? Then he lurked about and dogged me in the street. He follows me night after night and urges me to bring him face to face with you.' as he says he has been once and not long ago either. 
he wants to see you face to face he says and you'll soon hear him out he warrants and what do you say to that inquired ralph looking keenly at his drudge and it's no business of mine and i won't i told him that he might catch you in the street if that was all he wanted but no that wouldn't do you wouldn't hear a word there he said he must have you alone in a room with the door locked where he could speak without fear and you'd soon change your tone and hear him patiently an audacious dog ralph muttered that's all i know said newman i say again i don't know what man he is i don't believe he knows himself you have seen him perhaps you do i think i do replied ralph well retorted newman sulkily don't expect me to know him too that's all you'll ask me next why i never told you this before what would you say if i was to tell you all that people say of you what do you call me when i sometimes do brute ass and snap at me like a dragon this was true enough though the question which newman anticipated was in fact upon ralph's lips at the moment he's an idle ruffian said ralph a vagabond from beyond the sea where he travelled for his crimes a felon let loose to run his neck into the halter a swindler who has the audacity to try his schemes on me who know him well the next time he tampers with you hand him over to the police for attempting to extort money by lies and threats do you hear and leave the rest to me he shall cool his heels in jail a little time and i'll be bound he looks for other folks to fleece when he comes out you mind what i say do you i hear said newman do it then returned ralph and i'll reward you now you may go newman readily availed himself of the permission and shutting himself up in his little office remained there in very serious cogitation all day when he was released at night he proceeded with all the expedition he could use to the city and took up his old position behind the pump to watch for nicholas for newman noggs was proud in his way and could not bear to appear as his friend before the brothers cherubal in the shabby and degraded state to which he was now reduced he had not occupied this position many minutes when he was rejoiced to see nicholas approaching and darted out from his ambuscade to meet him nicholas on his part was no less pleased to encounter his friend whom he had not seen for some time so their greeting was a warm one i was thinking of you at that moment said nicholas that's right rejoined newman and i of you i couldn't help coming up to-night i say i think i'm going to find out something and what might that be returned nicholas smiling at his odd communication i don't know what it may be i don't know what it may not be said newman it's some secret in which your uncle is concerned but what i have not yet been able to discover although i have my strong suspicions i'll not hint em now in case you should be disappointed i disappointed cried nicholas am i interested i think you are replied newman i have a crochet in my head that must be so i have found out a man who plainly knows more than he cares to tell at once and he has already dropped such hints to me as puzzle me i say as puzzle me said newman scratching his red nose into a state of violent inflammation and staring at nicholas with all his might and main meanwhile admiring what could have wound his friend up to such a pitch of mystery nicholas endeavoured by a series of questions to elucidate the cause but in vain newman could not be drawn into any more explicit statement than a repetition of the perplexities he had already thrown out and a confused oration showing how it was necessary to use the utmost caution how the lynx-eyed ralph had already seen him in company with his unknown correspondent and how he had baffled the said ralph by extreme guardiness of manner and ingenuity of speech 
having prepared himself for such a contingency from the first remembering his companion's propensity of which his nose indeed perpetually warned all beholders like a beacon nicholas had drawn him into a sequestered tavern here they fell to reviewing the origin and progress of their acquaintance as men sometimes do and tracing out the little events by which it was most strongly marked came at last to miss celia bobster and that reminds me said newman that you never told me the young lady's real name madeline said nicholas madeline cried newman what madeline her other name say her other name bray said nicholas in great astonishment it's the same cried newman sad story can you stand idly by and let that unnatural marriage take place without one attempt to save her what do you mean exclaimed nicholas starting up marriage are you mad are you is she are you blind deaf senseless dead said newman do you know that within one day by means of your uncle ralph she will be married to a man as bad as he and worse if worse there is do you know that within one day she will be sacrificed as sure as you stand there alive to a hoary wretch a devil born and bred and grey in devil's ways be careful what you say replied nicholas for heaven's sake be careful i am left here alone and those who could stretch out a hand to rescue her are far away what is it that you mean i never heard her name said newman choking with his energy why didn't you tell me how was i to know we might at least have had some time to think what is it that you mean cried nicholas it was not an easy task to arrive at this information but after a great quantity of extraordinary pantomime which in no way assisted it nicholas who was almost as wild as newman noggs himself forced the latter down upon his seat and held him down until he began his tale rage astonishment indignation and a storm of passions rushed through the listener's heart as the plot was laid bare he no sooner understood it all than with a face of ashy paleness trembling in every limb he darted from the house stop him cried newman bolting out in pursuit he'll be doing something desperate he'll murder somebody hello there stop him stop thief stop thief End of chapter 51